If you have your Bibles today and you want to follow along, you can open up in the book of Matthew chapter 22 is where we're going to be today. Matthew chapter 22, verse 34 to 35 is where we're going to begin. This week, uh, as Paul alluded to just moments ago, sickness has been upon our home really for the last couple of weeks, it seems. And uh, at some point during the week, my little girl said she wanted to kiss me. And I said, baby, you can't kiss me. You're sick. And cheers just started rolling down her cheeks. She started crying. And now I'm sick. So, I mean, who couldn't kiss? I mean, who would not kiss that little girl? I said, come on over here. I'll give you a kiss. But in all seriousness, it is, uh, it's been, uh, been that kind of week. So I'm, I'm just praying the Lord would, uh, just, uh, go beyond me anyway, always. And that the Holy Spirit would give us a word here this morning and, and that, uh, his word would go forth in power to change us about the subject of love. We love those little kids. We love those little ones. We do. Little boy, little girl that I have, I tell you, just it's a different kind of love that you have when they come into your life than any other kind of love you've ever known, and it's a wonderful thing. Uh, but the love of God and the love that he has for us and the love that we're to have for him is to go beyond that, isn't it? The love that God has for us, the Scriptures tell us, is completely incomprehensible. And the love that we should have for him in return should be something described as incomprehensible, something we just cannot put into words, something that we just simply cannot explain, the love that we have for our Lord, the love that he has for us. And that's what this morning is about. You see, so often folks will ask the question, what is my life purpose? What am I here to do? And in so many ways... That's what the man in this story was asking today. You see, this expert in the law came to Jesus. Now, he was a part of an educated class of people. They were political uh, in nature. They had political power. Uh, they were a powerful group of individuals. Uh, they had great position within the culture. And that position and that power uh, was being threatened by Jesus and his teaching. And so he comes to Jesus and says... What is the greatest commandment? Uh, how can I be pleasing to God? How can I make my life count? That's really what he's saying here in this question. How can I make my life count? How can I be pleasing to God? What's the most important thing I can do with my life? We ask that question, don't we? What is my life purpose? What am I here for? How can I be pleasing to God? How can I live a life uh, that that he would look at and be pleased with. And Jesus answers the question in a very simple way. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Now, this story is also told by Mark and Luke. And in the book of Mark, we see Jesus also went uh, one, one step further and said, with all your strength. So, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, when the story was told in the book of Luke, we know that the man went a step further and asked a question, who is my neighbor? To which Jesus responded with the story of the Good Samaritan. And in so doing, he explains that our neighbor is everyone and that we are called to love everyone. We are called to serve everyone. There is no limit to who our neighbor is. I used to kid that uh, when God called me to pastor a church in Bryan College Station, that God had called me to love the unlovable. I had been called to serve the Aggies, you know. 
And uh, as a Baylor grad, that was quite the sacrifice, right? But uh, I tease, but in all seriousness, there are times when, when we wish there was a limit, don't we? Or a qualification because of something we feel. Because of some prejudice we feel or some anger that we have or some resentment in our lives, some hurt that we've suffered, that we wish there was some excuse for us not to love somebody in particular. Someone who may have hurt us deeply. Someone that, 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 that may not be like us and is very difficult to love because they grate us and grate upon our nerves and they rub us the wrong way. But there is no qualification here. Jesus says and makes very clear that we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, strength, and our neighbor, everyone else, as ourself. And this is our great life purpose. This is our reason to be here. We're talking about taking the next step in this sermon series. This morning it is taking the next step, your life's purpose. What is your life's purpose? Your life's purpose is to love the Lord your God with a great zeal. To love the Lord your God with a great and powerful, all-consuming kind of love. And to love everyone else with that same zeal, that same love, which can only be compared to the love you have for God. That's quite a big, big chore, isn't it? Quite a big thing to say. I mean, when you say something like that, just kind of, yeah, I've heard it. I understand that. I've heard it before. But the reality is, if you let those words sink in, they mean something to you. If you allow yourself to just be still for a minute and hear what we're saying and hear what's being said and allow that just to, just to sink in, it means something to you. Something which is completely life-changing, life-altering. And I hope that's what that will be for you this morning. Because we're going to dig into this a little bit and what this can mean for us. And, and for many of us, I would say probably all of us in the room, we're going to come at some point in the next few minutes where we're going to stop and say, that stung a little bit. That stings a little bit. You stepped on my toes a little bit. I hadn't thought about it in those terms. Uh, this is something that's uncomfortable. It's making me uncomfortable. And that's a good thing. Because if you're, if you're listening to a, a, a Christ-centered kind of preaching every week, there should come points in time that your toes are stepped on. And you're moved. And the Holy Spirit convicts you. And so I hope that will be the case this morning. And I feel like it, it will be for all of us at some point. You see, this passage begins with that we're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. And as I said a moment ago, when you look at the book of Mark, and our strength. This means that we are to love God with a supreme, all-consuming kind of love. In fact, Scripture is very clear to us that if we love anything or anyone more than God, we are committing the sin of idolatry. We are creating a God in place of the one true God. And you may say this morning, well, how can I know that I love someone or something more than God? And it's a simple answer that I'll give you today. If anything has a place of greater priority or attention in your life than God, you have an idol problem. You have an idol. If there's anything or anyone in your life which occupies more of your attention, anything or anyone in your life which occupies a greater place of priority than God, you do not love the Lord your God with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength. Now, now that, that probably steps on our toes just right away, doesn't it? As we begin here. Because, 
We say, well, I don't understand how you do that because I have to work. And work takes eight hours of my day. Family takes a few hours of my day. These people take, and you start, in your mind, you try to justify. All right, where is my time going? But even in the midst of our work, even in the midst of our family relationships, in the midst of everything else that we do in our life, Christ is supposed to be in the middle of it. And our relationship with Christ governs how we live our life, how we work, how we love our family, how we spend time with them, how we think. Everything in our life comes back to Him. You see, Jesus says here we're to love Him with all of our heart. That is the seed of our emotions and the deepest part of what makes us who we are. Love Him with all your heart. Your heart is really the the indicator of who you are. The Jew understood it, and the Jewish people of this day understood it to be that which made you you. That deepest part of yourself. We're supposed to love Christ with that. Our heart, our soul, and our mind. That's where the mind and the will come together. It's the place we interact with the world. It's the place we make decisions. It's where we think. It's where our subconscious and our conscious come together, and we live our life, make our decisions. And so Jesus is saying that, subconsciously and consciously with the whole of who we are here and the whole of who we are here, we are to love our God. He is to be the all-consuming passion of our heart and our mind. And then as we go back and look at the passage in Mark, all of our strength, the whole of our person, all that we are, all that we have the ability to be and to do, whether it be physically, whether it be emotionally, whether it be a matter of the conscious or the subconscious, the will, everything, we are to be directed towards Christ. Our whole life is to be consumed with Him and our relationship with Him. We are to love Him first. He is to always be just on the tip of our tongue when we speak. He is to be always just right below the surface of our mind. Even when we're thinking of other things, God is there. You know, Paul said we're to pray without ceasing. It doesn't mean we're to be on our knees at all times and every second of the day, but God is always on our mind and we are always there ready to speak to Him about anything that's going on with us. Everything we do is in light of our relationship with Christ. Our love for God is supposed to be an all-consuming passion to occupy the greatest part of our thoughts and our emotions and our activity. And the whole of our life, the rest of our life is to be lived in light of our love relationship with Him. That's what this Scripture is teaching us. Now, I have to ask you the question, is that indicative of your life? You see, if your your life purpose is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind and all of your strength, and you're not doing that, you've missed your life's call. See, so often we define ourselves in terms of vocation, and that's what we do as Americans, isn't it? A man meets another man, they exchange names. And within the first 60 seconds of conversation, at most, first three minutes of conversation, they will tell one another what they do. That's what we do. That's what we do as men. We define ourselves by our name and by our occupation. Ladies, you do the same thing. You, you might throw a few things in there first, but eventually you're going to get there. We define our life and our life's purpose by our name and by our occupation, our vocation. That's just what we so often do. But Jesus says here, that you are to be defined by your relationships, your relationship with God and your relationship with others. And the relationship with God is supposed to have the place of supreme importance. We're to love Him. And this is a command. It's not an option. See, this fellow came to Jesus, and he said, uh, 
listen, Jesus, he said, teacher, which is the most important commandment? Which is the most important commandment? This is not an option. This is not a, a recommendation. This is just, this is not some good advice to have a better life. This is a commandment. Jesus says you're to have no other gods before the one true and only God. You're to have no idolatry in your life. You're to love the Lord your God with an all-consuming, zealous passion with all of your heart and all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength. Now, one of the things that we need to understand is that this is a love response to Jesus, a love response to God. God has taken the initiative to pursue us. God has taken the initiative to love us first. And when you consider and meditate upon all of the love that God has for us, it becomes very, very easy to love Him in return. If you really think about all that God has done for us, I mean, God created us. He didn't need us. He just chose to create us. That's an amazing thing in and of itself. If He did nothing else, He chose to create us. That is an incredible demonstration of love for us and that He created us. Now, we then messed everything up by sinning, didn't we? We rebelled against Him. He could have just wiped us all out and started all over again, couldn't He? But He chose not to do so. He chose to save us. He chose to redeem us. He chose to send His Son to die on a cross for us, demonstrating the greatest demonstration of love by dying on the cross for us while we were yet sinners and in rebellion against Him. He saved us. He gave us, for all of us who are believers, His Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit lives within us. His Holy Spirit gives us everything we need for life and empowers us to live and follow Him. I don't have to depend upon myself and my own willpower in order to love the Lord, the God, Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. He's given me His Holy Spirit. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. If I depend on, on Him and I depend on His Holy Spirit at work within me, if I have faith in God to work in me, I know I can love the Lord my God with all my heart and soul and mind and strength because of His Holy Spirit that He has given to me. And He has given me eternity. I'll, I'll, I'm never going to end. I'll never die. Not in the true sense of what that word means. I will simply pass from this life into the next. Death is a doorway. I will go from this world into an eternal world. My spirit will leave my body and I will go to be with Him. And someday this body will be resurrected and reunited with my spirit as a brand new perfect body and I'll live forever, spirit and body together with Him in heaven. Christ has given us eternity. He has given us all of these things as gifts, as presents, as expressions of His love and devotion to us. If we meditate upon those things, it becomes very easy to love Him, doesn't it? And we see what He has done for us. An interesting thing about this is it means that Jesus is interested in your tomorrow, in your today as well. And He's more interested in it than you are. He's interested in all the little details of your life. He wants to hear about your life, what you think, what you feel, what you know, and what you don't know. And more than that, He wants you to participate in His life and what He's doing in the world around you. He wants you to join in with what He's doing and be a part of great things. You see, our great life purpose is to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. To have Him as God and have Him as God alone. There's a second part to this, isn't there? Love your neighbor as yourself. And this is one, oftentimes is the more difficult one, isn't it? You know, I, I can't tell you how many times I've talked to people who have come down to the altar to pray that 
I just need help in forgiving someone that I cannot forgive. And I, and I lead them in that prayer and I say, listen, let's pray now. You're making a choice in your will to forgive them. You don't feel like doing it, though. That's obvious because of what you've said. But you know that you are called to do this, and this is what God wants for your life. So you're making a, a decision of the will to do so, to forgive. And so we will now take hold of your confession, and we will take hold of your faith in Christ and His power at work within you, and we're going to bring those together to bear upon this. So we will pray now, in Jesus' name, I forgive. And Jesus, I ask you now to help me to follow through on this forgiveness, this confession that I am making here this morning. To forgive and to love the one who has hurt me. I cannot do it in myself. I don't feel like doing it. So I ask you to make me willing to be willing to follow through and to forgive and to put this out of my mind. Something along those lines. People hurt us, don't they? And oftentimes they wound us deeply or they wound someone we love. And it becomes difficult to love them. Right now, one of the great difficulties that many, many Christians are having are loving Muslim peoples because of all the terrorism that is happening around the world today. And so we begin to judge all Muslim peoples by the few Muslims who are committing atrocities. There is no qualification in this passage of Scripture. Jesus says that we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. Who is our neighbor? Everyone. We're to love everyone. See, we're to love those who have hurt us deeply. We're to love those who hate us. We're to love those who consider themselves our enemy. We're to love everyone. And emotionally, that is difficult to do. Sometimes it seems impossible to do. To love our neighbor as ourselves, But our life purpose is to love God and love our neighbor, right? How do we do that? We do it in the power of Christ because I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. We do so as we step out in faith and we speak a confession of faith and we ask the Lord our God to bring that confession of faith to a reality as we depend upon Him for the power to make it so. And we look for opportunities how we might love. You know, Gary Chapman came out with a book some, some years ago. I give it to, to couples that are getting married. It's called The Five Love Languages. Some of you guys have heard about this. You've heard of this book. Five Love Languages. And it's not a complicated book, and it's not a, a deep book by any stretch of the imagination, but it's an interesting book, and it makes you think. And in this book, he states that there are five ways, and I'm sure there are more than this, but he states there are five ways that you can love another person. You can love another person through spoken word, telling them that you love them, telling them they look beautiful, telling them they look handsome, telling them whatever, to build them up. You can love them through the spoken word, through acts of service. Listen, when you vacuum the living room, you're loving your wife, perhaps in ways that are beyond your imagination, right? An act of service. Through quality time, when you just stop what you're doing to go sit down next to your wife and hold her hand as you're watching TV, that's quality time. Or you take the time to leave whatever else you're doing to come and just be together. It's quality time. There's also physical touch. Won't go into that. Everyone knows what that is. All the men say amen. 
And then there's the giving of gifts, you know. You bring flowers to your wife, you know, you, you, you bring a flower to your wife, you, 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 uh, you give something to one another that, that the other, you know, the other would like, the giving of gifts. And, and we look at all of these things and think, well, that's sweet and that's nice. But the, the great benefit of the book and the reason that I oftentimes give it to couples who are getting married is that it points out to us that there are a variety of ways in which we might express love to other people. And we all speak different languages. What may mean something to you may be different than what may mean something to me. You see, if you're a spoken word kind of person, you just you just soak that up when someone speaks love to you. And if you're the type of person who is a quality time or an acts of service kind of person, when someone does something for you, you just soak that up and feel loved when that happens. There are different ways that we feel love. There are different ways to express love. We're called to love our neighbor as ourselves, and that's going to mean different things. So often we think, well, that means I need to go serve in a soup kitchen. That's great and good to do that. But how do you love the people you work with tomorrow morning? Now, obviously, you know, you can encourage them. You're probably not going to go up to them and say, I love you, okay, with those three words necessarily. You might. But but if you do, it should be in an appropriate setting, right? But, I mean, but the fact is is that there are different ways to love people, different ways that you might give yourself to someone else. I read a story recently about a woman. It's a very interesting story. I'm just going to read this this to you briefly. It happened on May 2nd, 1962. There was a dramatic advertisement which appeared in the San Francisco Examiner. And this is what it said. I don't want my husband to die in the gas chamber for a crime he did not commit. I will therefore offer my services for 10 years as a cook, maid, or housekeeper to any leading attorney who will defend him and bring about his vindication. One of San Francisco's greatest attorneys, Vincent Hallinan, read or heard about the ad and contacted Gladys Kidd, who had placed it. Her husband, Robert Lee Kidd, was about to be tried for the slaying of an elderly antique dealer. Kidd's fingerprints had been found on a bloodstained ornate sword in the victim's shop. During the trial, Hallinan proved that the antique dealer had not been killed by the sword and that Kidd's fingerprints and blood on the sword got there because Kidd had once toyed with it while playfully dueling with a friend in the store as they were shopping. The jury, after 11 hours, found Kidd to be not guilty. Attorney Hallinan refused Gladys Kidd's offer of 10 years of servitude. To love our neighbor means serving, speaking, giving. It means giving something of ourself for the sake of another person. That's what it means to love. How did Gladys love her husband? It wasn't through the spoken word that day, was it? Was it through quality time? No. What it was is I'm offering myself. And how was she offering herself? She was offering herself to literally say, here I am for 10 years to be your servant for 10 years if you will defend my husband in the courtroom. That's how she loved her husband that day. How can you love someone else? How can you love a neighbor? Well, it means giving of yourself, offering of yourself. That may mean bringing a cup of coffee to someone. It may be that you run to the mailroom for them and for you. I remember as I was a waiter waiting table some years ago, the best way I could, could 
love or help or bless or be a good friend to my fellow waiters was to make sure that I, if I had the tea or water in my hand to go to their tables when I went to my tables to fill up the glasses of their customers when I filled up the glasses of mine. It could be something great. It can be something extravagant. It can be something very simple. But we are called to love people. And so often we overlook the small little opportunities that we have along the way to do so because we're looking for the grand gesture. Listen, those grand gestures come. <laughs> those opportunities to give of ourselves come. When Jim Elliott and, and, and his partners who went down to the Aka Indians and gave their lives in, in, in trying to, to bring the gospel to the Aka Indians of Ecuador, when, when he did, that was his grand gesture in that moment. But he had a whole lot of opportunities before that happened to love those Indians. And if you read his story, you'll see that, how they loved and loved and loved on those Indians before that day came when he gave his life. You see, we have, we have great many opportunities to love people, and we so often overlook those opportunities because we're in search of the grand gesture along the way. But God, every day, is holding up privilege, holding up an opportunity for us. See, we oftentimes are worried about being taken advantage of. We're oftentimes worried about what other people are going to think. We're oftentimes worried and oftentimes we, we, we are afraid to offer ourselves and give ourselves or we're prejudiced or we're angry or we're hurt. Listen, Christ says just let go of those things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength as a response to His love for you. And then in the midst of enjoying that great love and enjoying that great relationship that you have with Him, begin to allow your life to be poured out as His life was poured out for you. Allow your life to be poured out for Him and for all those around you. Because remember, Jesus said that when you love the least of these, you're loving Him. When you serve the least of these, you're loving Him. So when you consider how Christ has poured out His life for you, consider it no great thing. And no small thing to pour out your life for Him as you pour out your life for them, those who are around you. What is your life purpose? Your life purpose, my life purpose, is to love Jesus and to love others. Don't you want that just to be a normal part of your life? Don't you want that just to be a natural outgrowth of getting up in the morning to love God completely and zealously and fully, and to love your neighbor as yourself. I know I do. There's a story happened in the 19th century that I wanted to tell you about as we close today. William Gladstone, in announcing the death of Princess Alice to the House of Commons, told a touching story. The little daughter of Princess Alice was seriously ill with diphtheria. Now, most of us don't know what diphtheria is. Because we now have diphtheria vaccines and diphtheria is gone from our culture for the most part. But diphtheria is caused by a bacteria which causes a very thick mucus to form in the back of the throat and it will cause you to suffocate. You will, you will choke to death on the mucus that forms in the back of the throat. That's gross, Pastor. I wish you hadn't told me that, but now you know. And her little girl had diphtheria and the doctors had warned her. They said, don't... Be near your daughter. If you breathe in her breath, you will catch diphtheria. Don't be near her, no matter what the temptation may be. But as she was in her daughter's room, 
Once when the child was struggling to breathe and she was coughing, the mother, just forgetting herself, took the child up into her arms to keep her from choking to death in that moment. And in that moment, rasping and struggling for her life, the little child said, Mama, kiss me. Mama, kiss me. Without thinking a moment about it, she kissed the little child. Caught diphtheria and a few days later went to be with her Lord. Real love forgives self. Real love knows no danger. Real love doesn't count the cost. As the Bible says, many waters cannot quench love, neither can the floods drown it. May our love for God and others be a natural part of our life, something we do without consideration of the potential cost to ourselves. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. The Bible tells me so. The Spirit of the living God testifies to me so. The circumstances of my life show me so, even when things go wrong. Jesus loves me. This I know. And because of the love of Jesus, I love Him. And because I love Jesus, because He loves me, I can love them. I can love everyone else. And in so doing, fulfill the great life purpose, the most beautiful, most wonderful thing that God could have ever given us to do, to love Him completely and to love others selflessly. Now, this morning, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord of your life, you can have a relationship with God this morning. And if you don't know how to have a relationship with God, we can help you to know how to do that. And in a moment, we're going to invite you to come, and I would love to talk with you. We'll have other counselors that can talk to you and help you to know how you might know Jesus. But if you're a believer this morning, and this has stepped on your toes, I want you to understand that this is a command from God without qualification or excuse. It's something He's called us all to do, but He has given us His Holy Spirit, and in Christ we can do it. You'll never do it in yourself. You'll never have enough willpower. You'll never train yourself well enough. You'll never discipline your life enough that you might love all people regardless of the cost. But in Christ... You can do all things. And if you'll come to Him by faith and confess your weakness, Christ will give you His strength and allow you the ability and empower you to love. So if that's you this morning and you're struggling to love someone, you're struggling to love some group of people, you're struggling to love someone in particular, then this morning go to God and say, God, I'm struggling. I ask you now. In faith, I can make the confession with my mouth that I know this is the truth and what you want for me and I believe in my heart that you're going to do that for me. Because it is in your word that you intend for that to be indicative of my life. You intend for that to be the case. And so, Lord, by faith, I'm asking you to do that in me now. Help me to love. Help me and make me to love. As you have commanded me to love. You and others. Let's bow together.